welcome back to another episode of Seasoned Crime. I'm your host, Jasmine Nicole, and I'm here to tell you a story about a minority. This podcast is a space for me to put light on the things that are normally hidden or pushed to the back. I remove all of the normal news media boundaries of race, religion, color, sexual orientation, and I shine light on the things that are normally in the shadows. I hope everyone has had a good week. January is always a weird month for me. It's like getting back to normal after the holidays, but not too normal because it's the start of the new year. So I'm trying to figure out my plans for self-improvement. And financially, it's also like a holiday recovery month, but not too much because (laughs) what do you know? I birthed a Capricorn, which means that my financial break doesn't come until the end of January. This episode will be released on Tuesday the 18th, and his birthday is Wednesday the 19th. So as of that date, I will officially be the mother of a 10-year-old. A whole decade of my life, I have been somebody's mom. The other day, he was watching something on YouTube, and it wasn't something that I recognized. So I asked, what was it? And he said it was a murder mystery. And I watched a little bit with him. And at that point, I felt like I have finally done something right with this kid. Enough about me and my life. Let's get into why you're here. I am determined week after week to highlight a story that the mainstream media isn't. And what you're going to hear today is exactly that. The story I'm going to tell you is about a woman of color who mysteriously died, yet it seems that figuring out exactly what happened or the media attention going towards this hasn't been loud enough to get the conversations going. The story I'm about to talk about, I have seen here and there on my timeline and on the For You page of my TikTok, but that's about it. I haven't seen any official major news outlets reporting on this at all. This story has so many more questions than it does answers. Every single story that I tell takes a piece of my heart, but the ones that take a little bit more of it are the ones that literally could have been me. And that's exactly what this story is. Everything about this story, every single aspect could have at one point or another happened to me. And so it hits a little bit closer to home. This is a story that everyone should know about, yet many people still don't. Today, I'm going to tell you the story of Lauren Smith Fields. At 23 years old, Lauren was a beautiful girl with dark chocolate skin from Bridgeport, Connecticut. In high school, she was a top track athlete and now she attended Norwalk Community College. Lauren was also into digital creating and she made YouTube videos. Her family describes her as the light in their family. Her energy and attitude radiated everywhere she went. To know her was to truly love her. Lauren enjoyed life. She was young and gorgeous, and she lived it up. There are some reports that say that she was a sugar baby. I don't know exactly if that's a known fact or if it's just assumed based on the circumstances of this story. Not that that takes away or makes any kind of difference, just speaking on it because I did see it in more than one report. In the early morning hours of December 12th, 2021, police responded to a 911 call to Lauren's apartment. When they arrived, Lauren was laying unresponsive 
and she ended up dying at the apartment before she could be transported to the hospital. A seemingly healthy 23-year-old woman in her apartment, dead. The sentence itself just, it brings so many questions and as you'll come to hear, we're not going to get many answers. It was determined that the night before, on December 11th, Lauren had a date set up with an older white man, at least 45 years old, that she had met on the dating app Bumble. Matthew LaFountain is his name, and he was the one who was still at her apartment, and he called 911. The police questioned this man and took his statement, and that was that. According to Matthew, he said that they had met on Bumble, and Lauren reached out asking him for $40 so she could get her nails done. Lauren invited him over to her place so he could bring her the money, and when he got there, they talked, hung out a bit, and then ended up taking a shot of tequila. He said that Lauren ended up getting sick and went and threw up in the bathroom, but once she cleared her stomach, she came back and continued the night. They kept drinking, they played some games, and they just had fun into the night. They started watching a movie when Lauren got a text that she said was from her brother. Lauren then went outside to get something from her brother and then came back in and went directly to the bathroom for another 10 to 15 minutes. Matthew said in his statement that he did think this was a bit odd and he felt a little weird about the situation, but he had literally just met Lauren, so he didn't feel like it was his place to pry or to ask any questions, so he didn't say anything. When Lauren came out of the bathroom, they had finished watching the movie that they had started, and they had also finished the bottle of tequila they'd been drinking on, and Lauren ended up falling asleep on the couch. Matthew insists that he picked Lauren up, carried her to her room, he put her in the bed, and he went back into the living room and went to sleep in his clothes on her couch. He got up about 3 a.m. and went to the restroom and said he could hear Lauren snoring, but he didn't actually like go in and look at her. He ended up getting back on the couch and going back to sleep. And then he got up about 6.30 a.m. It was at that point when he got up that he did go check on Lauren and he says he found her there laying on her right side with blood coming out of her right nostril and she wasn't breathing. That's when he called 911. I'm just going to put a little side note in here for myself real quick. Um, I mean, again, I'm going to get into this story and dig into that statement. But something that doesn't wasn't mentioned in any of the articles that I read, I just, for myself, am questioning. If you just met this woman, she falls asleep, you put her in the bed. Sure, I get that. Okay. But what? in your head made you think it was okay to go sleep on this woman's couch that you just met and then not only that like it's one thing to say maybe he was drunk and passed out and fell asleep but he got up went to the bathroom and then took his happy ass back to her couch and went back to sleep so he says makes no sense at all but again hey that was just my little sidebar so back to the story there was nothing in the statement or the police report that said that Matthew was actually taken in for um, questioning or that he was detained. Um, from the sounds of it, he gave his statement there on the scene. 
Per the police reports, though, they did end up confiscating Lauren's phone, her keys, her passport, and $1,345 worth of cash from her apartment as evidence. The police contacted the landlord of the building that Lauren lived in, but the landlord had no emergency contact information for Lauren's family. The next day, on December 13th, after Lauren was dead, her mom, Chantel Fields, went over to Lauren's place to check in with her after not having any contact with her. Her and her family and friends, people had been trying to call and text and get in touch with Lauren, but no one had heard from her, so Chantel got worried. When she arrived at the apartment, she found a note on the door that the landlord had left, and the note read, If you are looking for Lauren, call this number. She ended up calling the number, and that is how Chantel found out that her daughter Lauren was dead. I can only begin to imagine the initial reactions from her family. Their beloved Lauren was literally there one day and dead the next. The thing is, the family didn't have any time to grieve. Not only did they have to go through the process of planning an unexpected funeral, but as soon as the initial shock started to settle, they realized that there were some things that just weren't adding up. And they had a lot of questions about what exactly happened here. Their first interaction with Bridgeport PD was on December 13th, the day that they learned of Lauren's death. They called Detective Kevin Cronin, and when they called, he said that he would be there within about 30 minutes to speak with him. The family waited for over an hour before calling again to see where he was. And according to Lauren's family, when they called the second time, they were told to stop calling and he hung up the phone. A few days later, a Detective Garcia reached out to them to advise that he was now taking over the case. But Lauren's family described Garcia as also being unprofessional. When they told him about what had happened with Detective Cronin, Garcia responded by saying, Fuck Cronin. He got kicked off the case. He's a fucking asshole. And then he went on to explain how he was Puerto Rican and he had daughters of his own, so that meant that he was on their side in this. When the family was finally able to speak with Bridgeport PD, they were placed in an interrogation room. And then the Garcia that they saw there was not as reassuring as he was a few days ago. Chantel said that when she was speaking and she mentioned the fuck Cronin comment that was made, Garcia turned into a maniac saying she was lying and he would never speak bad about another colleague like that. Their problems and questions sadly didn't stop with the police department. Once they heard about the police report in Matthew's statement, there were numerous red flags that they noticed. Matthew said that Lauren had requested the $40 to get her nails done, and that was how he ended up getting invited over in the first place. But that didn't really make any sense, because Lauren's family said that she had just gotten her nails done earlier that same week, and her nails were still intact when her body was found. 
so fresh that that same set that she had on when she died was the set that they kept for her funeral. Also, part of Matthew's story said that she got a text from her brother and then she went outside to meet him. Lakeem Jetter, Lauren's brother, said that he did see Lauren that night, but he didn't text her anything. The last time he had texted his sister was December 4th, over a week prior to her death. Lakeem said that he went to Lauren's house to pick up a basket of clothes that she had for him, and when he got there, he called her to let her know that he was outside. Lauren brought the basket of clothes down to him, but she never mentioned anything about somebody being there. She stayed out and talked to him for about 10-15 minutes, and then she went back upstairs. Nothing at all seemed off about her when Lakeem saw her. She didn't look tired or sick or drunk or anything. Lakeem said, and I quote, I'm her second oldest brother. If I would have seen her drunk, I would have said something. I would have asked, what are you doing? Why do you look like that? There's no way he would have ignored any sign of anything out of the normal. So it just didn't match up with what Matthews claims that she was doing that night. Lakeem said that the family also questioned why Matthew wasn't brought in and officially questioned or detained. And according to the police department, this was because he seemed like a nice guy and they felt that no further investigation was needed and his story had checked out. Even though, per the police report, Matthew was described as frantic when they arrived on the scene. The family was able to gain access to the apartment on December 29th, three days after Lauren's funeral, and they were shocked by everything that they saw. I mean, this was over two weeks after her death, and they came into the apartment and saw that there was still so much evidence that was left. There were the cups that they were drinking out of, flipped over plates, and some lubricant. There was a huge stain of blood in the middle of her bed, and streaks of that blood were spread to the right. They also found a condom that had semen still in it, and a pill that they believed to be a sedative, which could have possibly been used to drug her. Why did the police not take the cups and test the liquor to see if something had been put in her drink? If they didn't have sex, as Matthew had said in his statement, why was there a condom with semen inside? Not only that, but why were any of these things still left for the family to find? Everything mentioned was potential evidence, yet the police thought that all they needed to take were her keys, her passport, her cash, and her phone. Lauren's family tried and tried to get answers, but they kept hitting walls and getting absolutely nothing, saying that the Bridgeport police treated them as if they were a problem, being told that they were making it a hostile environment. It was confirmed that Detective Cronin was kicked off the case, and he is under investigation from internal affairs. The city confirmed this, but they wouldn't expand on any details of why. 
A statement was released by a spokesperson for the city of Bridgeport asking for patience as this is an active case and it is being investigated. Rowena White, communications director for the city of Bridgeport, said, quote, the family will continue to want answers. The challenge is you have to wait. According to Lauren's family, they may be investigating now. However, that's only after multiple complaints being sent to the city. Something else that continues to bother everyone is why was Lauren's family not immediately notified of her death? The family attorney, Darnell Crossland, said that Detective Cronin disregarded basic police protocol by failing to notify the family. But according to Rowena, multiple attempts were made by the department to reach out to the family, but none of those attempts were successful. Rowena insisted that the investigation is still going. They are waiting the full report from the medical examiner of Lauren's autopsy, which she states could take months, but the initial report that they got had no signs or indications of foul play. She said herself, when there is no foul play, there is no crime. That doesn't mean that the cause of death isn't being investigated. Rowena also added that Matthew is being fully cooperative with them. Darnell, the family attorney, spoke out about this, saying, there's a typical protocol that's followed when you have a situation like this. If you have a husband or a wife or a boyfriend or a girlfriend that calls the police because one of them is dead, typically the person who is surviving is pivotal to the investigation. Most times they are looked at as a suspect because they were the last person seen with the deceased. In this particular case, the police have been very hesitant to even call this person a person of interest. Lauren's family has lost all trust in the city of Bridgeport in their handling of the case, so much so that Lauren's father, Everett, has paid out of pocket for a second autopsy to be done independent of the city, and they're awaiting the results of that. A GoFundMe page has been started by the family to raise funds that will assist with them paying for their own independent investigation into Lauren's death. Darnell spoke to this as well, saying, it is appalling that we have to prosecute our own cases. The family has a right to know that the police consider this case as serious as any other case, and they haven't given that. Lauren's mom, Chantel, wrote a letter to the Bridgeport PD about her disappointment with everything, but she received no response at all. Local councilwoman Maria Perina has since spoken out about that, saying that she does apologize to Chantel because, quote, she sent in a very well-written email. It was lengthy. It was extensive. It was very detailed. And I was shocked when she just told me yesterday that she hadn't even received a response. Most recently, the family has spoke out saying that they intend to sue the city of Bridgeport over how this case was handled and that they have requested an independent agency be brought up to investigate. Sheila has said, quote, Bridgeport police want us to disappear. Be quiet and just shut up. That's not going to happen. Just like I told the police department, 
you're going to forever remember Lauren Smith Fields' name. A lot of people have compared this to the Gabby Petito case. The media frenzy into not only finding Gabby, but the massive search that followed doesn't compare to this at all. Missing white woman syndrome is pointed out over and over when speaking on this case. Missing white woman syndrome is a phrase that was coined in 2004 by the late journalist Gwen Ilfil. It refers to the amount of attention in media coverage that happens when white women go missing. Not at all saying that the attention that's given to them isn't deserved, but if you compare it to the attention that missing people of color get, it's hardly ever anywhere near the same. The amount of media outrage or resources that are put into solving cases of POCs is drastically less, if any at all. Like it or not, mainstream media plays a huge role in who gets coverage and who doesn't. They create awareness and they crowdsource the information and the details. So if the mainstream news isn't speaking about it, then it becomes 10 times harder to bring awareness, turning this into more of a grassroots type organization to even just get a little piece of the pie. It's happening all too often with black girls missing across the world, across the country, and no one says anything. When a white woman goes missing, the whole world drops everything. We are done with this valuation, said the family attorney Darnell Crossland. Just like I said in the beginning, this could have been me in more ways than one. There are so many holes in this story, from the statement Matthew gave to how the Bridgeport police handled this. I personally don't fully believe Matthew's story at all. I believe that there maybe are some bits and pieces of it that are true, but absolutely not the entire thing. And then, if you put everything that I feel is wrong about Matthew on pause, let's get into the police department. From the start, it was said that her phone was a piece of evidence that they obtained, yet they then said they had no way of reaching out to her family. Lauren's mom only came over to her apartment after multiple attempts to reach out to Lauren by multiple people. So if they had her phone, why would the police not leave it on and answer when someone, anyone called? Even if you say her phone was locked, sure. Even so, when it rings, they could have answered. After everything that this family was put through, there was not a single person in that department who genuinely gave any kind of support or hope or assurance to this family. Not one person in the police department seemed to step up and truly be an ally to them. And I would hate to think how things would have went if this case didn't start to gain some attention. Please share this story. Share this podcast. Share her picture. Donate to the GoFundMe and say her name. Make sure that the people involved in this case can't close their eyes without hearing her name and their thoughts. Gabby Petito's case 
was solved partially with the help of some internet detectives. The police aren't going to always get it right. They miss things, whether intentionally or unintentionally. They're human. But the more eyes that you put on this and the more attention the case gets, it helps. I'm not saying that I know for a fact that Matthew did it, but there is nothing about any of this at all that says that he didn't do it. And until every resource is used to prove that, then I don't believe the police have done their job. This isn't the first time I've said this, and just knowing the type of stories I do, I know this won't be the last time, but we are truly all we got. We can't just sit back and be quiet on this. To the family of Lauren Smith Fields, just know that we are standing behind you and we will continue to say her name along with the others who haven't received proper justice. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Normally, this is the part where I speak on the different ways to support the show, but I can't even bring myself to do that today after the story. The only support that I'm going to ask for is for Lauren Smith Fields. Keep saying her name and keep spreading the word. We've seen before how much of an impact we make when we speak up and speak out. We aren't asking for answers anymore. We're demanding them. We just need you to make it make sense. And until that can happen, we're going to continue to spread the word. Have a good week, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Season Crime. Today's episode was researched, edited, and recorded by your host, Jasmine Nicole.